Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Well, it's just, it's, it's just good to, to do this, to get together, uh, and just uh, part of the liturgy is just the passing of the peace to greet one another, and so just, just that's awesome. Uh, we are continuing in our series through the wonderful uh, book of Deuteronomy, uh, and today we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, the title of our series is On the Precipice of Promise, as we're looking at uh, just uh, Israel journeying finally to the promised land. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we're beginning the main legal code, if you will, in this book. From chapters 12 to 26, Moses is going to articulate what it is and recall, if you will, recall to mind to Israel what it is to do, especially as it relates to worship. And so in chapters 12 to 26, it's going to really hone in on the legal code and in our, the portion of the passage that we're going to look at today, actually chapters, 20, uh, chapters 12 and 16 are going to focus in on worship. So today I have the daunting and wonderful task on preaching on four chapters. So buckle your seatbelts. I, I think I can do this. I can do this. Uh, I can actually do it in, three, in 32 seconds. Because what's happening is, is, is Moses is reminding the people of Israel what it is to worship God. In chapter 12, there's going to be a warning against idolatry. As it relates to worship, we, we ought to worship in the way that God prescribes and in the place he prescribes. That's Deuteronomy chapter 12. And we ought to do so with offerings and giving, and not just money. It's our resources for forgiveness and for gratitude. And then in chapter 13, there's going to be this warning against false worship. When you get to Deuteronomy chapter 14, it's going to talk about the unique lifestyle of God's people as it relates to others. And lastly, in chapter 14, it's going to talk about caring for the Levites, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And so this morning, we're going to focus in on chapter 12, verses 5 to 7. And so if you're there, you could turn there. It'll be on the screen behind, but I'll read Deuteronomy chapter 12. Verses 5 through 7. It reads as follows. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd, and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is for us to center our attention on the heart of worship. And I pray, Lord, that as we look back and recall what was commanded and declared to the people of Israel, that it too would speak to our hearts this morning. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 12 to 16, there's going to be this focus in on worship. And so as I read this, the first question I ask is, why? 
why spend this amount of time in talking about what Israel ought to know to do? I mean, if you think about it, they spent 40 years in the wilderness doing absolutely nothing but worshiping God. They had a tabernacle that went wherever they went. They had the presence of God come down like a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Yet, on the verge of entering into the promised land, they're being reminded of worship. So as we examine why, I think it's very simple. And I think the reason why we too ought to focus in on what it means to worship, because in this passage is the third most important word used in the book of Deuteronomy. If you were here last week, what was the word Joey emphasized? Can't hear you. Love. So love is a, thank you, was that Monica? I see you smiling. You're either laughing at me or you answered the question. So love, love is a core to what it means to be the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with everything that you are. I think the other most important word in this book is the word hear, to listen, plastered throughout the book of Deuteronomy. But the third most important word, and a word all of us must draw our attention to, is the word joy. It's this word translated rejoice. Friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we live in a world that is emerging from a pandemic. We live in a world saturated with inequities and equalities. We live in a world where there's a lot of heartache and stress. And so what if there is a radical message of joy in Deuteronomy that is applicable to us? Today, you see in verse 7, we, we see rejoice. You read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and that word joy or rejoice only shows up one time in each of those books. But in the book of Deuteronomy, it shows up at least 12 times that God's speaking to the people of Israel on the precipice of promise, getting ready to enter into the promised land wants them and us to know the importance of rejoicing, the importance of joy. Did you see it in verse 7? It says, when you're there, he says, uh, 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 that you shall eat before the Lord and you shall rejoice. I dare ask, how many of us center our lives on this reality of joy, on this reality of rejoicing? Standing on the edge of this promise is this new generation. Their entire life was lived in the wilderness. This is the new generation coming up. And the, 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 the days ahead are uncertain. They don't know what life in the promised land is going to look like. But God screams, your hearts ought to be filled with joy. And when we're talking about joy, joy, it's not just rejoicing. There is a call to rejoice with. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you see this, for example, in verse 12 of chapter 12. It says, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your town. Again, in chapter 14, verse 26, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. 
You see it again, again in, in, in chapter 16, verse 11. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. And why is this call to rejoice? And not just to rejoice by yourself, but to rejoice with others. You see, it is quite simple and, and easy for us to, 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 to do certain things by ourselves, right? You, like yesterday, I was watching the basketball. Anyone watch basketball? Man, did you watch the game yesterday? <laughs> like, did you see that? It, sorry. It was just like, and I was literally the only one in the home because Sandra was out, Aaliyah was, it was like, I was just there, and I was celebrating all by myself. Like, when Giannis made that alley-oop dunk, it was crazy. It was just, you should have been there. <laughs> should have been there. But I was able in that moment, in that circumstance, to be very happy all by myself. I can, I was just flipping through the channels, actually, now that I think about it. I was bored. But all good. But when you get to Deuteronomy and it talks about joy, it's, it's almost untranslatable in the English language. There is a nuance to this word joy that we ought not miss. You see, it is not a private emotion. It's not just something you do by yourself. In Deuteronomy, when it talks about joy, it is a shared experience with others. That's why throughout this book, it's a call to do this with your sons, your daughters, with other people. At the crux of worship, at the crux of life in the promised land, at the heart of rejoicing is to rejoice with other people. Friends, to rejoice, it's not a private emotion. It's not just a call to rejoice. It is a call to rejoice with. Friends, in our faith, there cannot be this emphasis on the I of worship. It is a we thing. There's no such thing as private rejoicing in the promised land. And so know what it's like to share joy with others, Right? I mean, it's, you, you go to a wedding. What is a wedding? It is a shared celebration with people. You go to a family gathering. It is a shared joy. It's a celebration of holidays. We, we know what it's like to celebrate with others. And so a shared joy is what is supposed to define the people of God. And so Moses, throughout this book, repeatedly says, when you rejoice over and over again, it should be you, your sons, your daughters, servants, the Levites, the strangers, the fatherless, the widows in your towns. You see, what Moses is articulating for the first time is the idea of rejoicing as being something communal, as something social. It is a national rejoicing. See, the nation wasn't just to be brought together, which is what often happens in our day, right? When, do, when, do, when does the nation often come together? Crises, right? When, when something bad happens, we tend to rally together. Like, I'll never forget 9-11 uh, happened, right? And I, I remember everybody, uh, red, blue, green, got on the steps of the Capitol in solidarity. We were one nation. We come together crisis. And we do so easily. In those moments, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter what your worldview is. If there is a common enemy, if there is an act of terror, if there is an act of aggression, we know to come together. 
But what Deuteronomy is saying, what God is saying to us, it's not just in crises. That there ought to be a people that share this joy with others. And it's an inclusive joy. Not only was this a religious act of thanksgiving contained within the people of God, what Deuteronomy is calling them and us to do was an opportunity to gather others together, to get everybody together. No one was to be left out. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 14, where it says, You shall rejoice in your feast, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levites, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. What would it look like to be a gathering of people that time and time again that there was a communal aspect to our joy that embraced everybody. That there was an opportunity for someone to be standing on the margins, to be standing on the outside. He says, look out for the orphan, look out for the widow, look out for the stranger among you and invite them in that they too might experience this joy. And the reason that's important is because I think so oftentimes it is quite easy for us, even as a church, to become this exclusive entity, and we forget about everybody else. And so the joy we celebrate in here, the fun that we celebrate, that we have in here, the excitement in here, it's contained in here. All the while, everybody is just walking by, and not so what Moses is committing the people to. See, everyone is made in the image of God. And unfortunately, we live in a world that we assign worth to people based upon what they have. And so if you don't have, we, we, we exclude you from things. If you don't have this, then we think you're not worthy to be in our midst. And, and I don't know if you've ever felt that, to be on the outside looking in. Man, it's not a good feeling, right? I, mean, I, I remember the first, first time it happened, I'm scarred for life. Third grade, <laughs> basketball court. You got first pick, they got second pick. You know how, you, anyone play? You know, we'll just keep doing the basketball thing. <laughs> I got him. I got Isaiah. You're just picking the team, and little old Davis is on the outside. So you, no one wants me? And not just as a third grader. So many people today, because of what they do have or what they don't have, are not invited in to share in the joy that God provides. So I think it begs the question, then, then we ought to have eyes to see who it is that is our neighbor. I think that's the call, right? Love, love God, love your neighbor, and the expression of loving our neighbor is to bring them in, to invite them in. And, and, and here's the nuance. I think we, we live in a world where we say everyone is welcome. Right? Everyone is welcome, whoever you are, come in. But the, the, the problem is we, we say everyone is welcome, but then <laughs> the person may never show up. What is radically different is to build a community where everyone else is in mind. That's what the church does. The church is a community of people being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ with the desire to see that transformation impact the city, to impact others. Research shows that people are five, I thought this was fascinating, five times more likely to laugh 
when they're in the presence of other people. Isn't that cool? I mean, try that. Go home today. Here's your homework. Tell a joke to yourself looking at the mirror. <laughs> probably not going to get a lot of laughs. Now, if your joke's not funny, you'll probably never get laughs. But think about it. Just, 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 just in that moment, other people laugh, and it's infectious. Even if what I said is not resonating, it, it res- I can't even say the word. It, even if what I'm saying doesn't resonate, the fact that someone else laughs, it kind of, it, it's infectious. That, that's the call here, that there is life in God. There is joy that cannot be privatized. That you so much as invite others into the joy that you know in the Lord, it's infectious. People will laugh. People will have fun. There was a, a sociologist, Emile Durkheim, she, she coined the term collective effervescence. And this came after World War I, where she's saying there, there, there's something necessary in society. It is communal joy that we need each other, that there is a energy, there is a harmony that exists when people come together in a group for a shared purpose. I'll give you an example. We, we, we all do this. How many of you have ever been to, invited to a wedding? All right, now those of us that haven't been invited to the wedding, we're going to work on that. We're going to get you to a wedding. Now, I don't know about the weddings you go to. The weddings I go to, I'm sure it's the weddings you go to. We have fun. We party, right? And what does the DJ normally do to get everybody on the dance floor? You play a line, da- line song, right? Electric slide, uh, what, Cupid shuffle, the wobble. What else do we do? Say again? Come. I've never been invited to a wedding. What is it called? Cotton? Cotton You're going to have to show it to me. (laughs) Hopefully, they didn't hear that on the camera. All good. But you know that feeling where it's like everybody, the song starts playing, and everybody just excitedly wants to be a part of it. There's something to that. It's, it's what, what happens when we, when we come together for like a, a baseball game and your team scores. Even if you don't know the person next to you, it's a home run, you high five them. There is solidarity that exists in a social rejoicing. And this is what God is calling his people to experience and express and invite others there in. I mean, think about it. They're about to enter into a land as strangers, and the command given to them is that as you worship the Lord, have your eye on others and invite them in to experience that joy. We all love that. Don't we love that? When that song comes on and you know it, or even in, in a gathering like this, when we just, there, there's synergy. We like that. And, and think about the past year and a half. We were robbed of that. We couldn't gather together. We, we couldn't celebrate in that way. And even if we were invited to a wedding, we were limited in who could be there. Man, Sandra and I, we got married August 26, 2000. And we, how many people do you think came? Yeah, everyone, like the, the world came. 
We literally had like 700 people to show up to the res reception. Yeah, it was, this is before you could RSVP. This was just, it was, it was an African wedding. You just, you just breathe and you're invited. <laughs> but, but here's what I did not appreciate 20 years ago, 21 years ago. When we got married, the most frustrating thing was like we had to invite the whole church. Like, even if I didn't know, you just, you just walk through the door, you're invited. It was just like, how are we going to, like, feed everybody? And I never understood that till I read Deuteronomy. That even the newest person, the Bible might call the stranger in your midst, invite them in so that they might see life. I think oftentimes, especially as a kid, we think being a, a follower of Jesus is boring. There's no joy in it. Man, there better be joy. And so we literally invited the whole planet. I'm sure you were there. <laughs> it felt like it. But one of the things Sandra's father said, he said, this is, your, this is your marriage, but it's our wedding. And because it's our wedding, we're going to invite any and everyone to it so that they can celebrate with us. So at the wedding, we had a receiving line where people shake your hand. I knew maybe seven people. But, man, I know your father, I know your mother, I know your uncle. It was, it was literally a communal celebration. And, man, we, we have the VH VHS tape of that wedding. And, man, we partied with a lot of strangers. <laughs> but it was fun. Friends, that's what the church is supposed to be. And when I say church, I'm not just talking about gathering. We're supposed to be a people that rejoice and feast before the Lord. And we just invite people into that. And the desires that they come to faith through that shared experience. And so invite your friends. I, I, I don't know what it was like. We, we grew up in, in a culture where it was like, if you're not a believer, don't invite that person. That's a lie. Man, invite your coworkers, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. They need to see fun. They need to see rejoicing. I mean, think about it. I, I think back, uh, back in the COVID time when we were really locked down, and we had like our small little gatherings, like the fire pits, and just just we we snuck gatherings in. Right? <laughs> we're like like we're just like rebellious people. You can't gather. Yes, I can. I got four people by a fire pit. We needed that. And not only do we need that, we live in a world where people need that. And so to, to, to help people evolve out of this pandemic, out of this isolation, I think is this call to rejoice with. So our, the contemporary person is, lives their life in, 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 in first person singular. Right? So I, I, I speak a couple of languages, and one of the things that is most challenging about learning languages is the conjugations. First person singular, first person plural. I just speak English. I don't even know. I didn't know there was all these rules in English. I just say, hi, you, me, it, that third person plural, plus, that's crazy. But so many people construct their lives in that manner. And there are many things we could do on our own. But the one thing we cannot do according to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and 16 through 16 is rejoice with others. So here's, here's the point of tension for us 
living in the United States. Psychologists find that in a culture where people pursue happiness as individuals, right? Isn't that the mantra? The, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we tend to do that on our own. Where they says in a, in a culture where people pursue happiness individually, what happens? They actually become lonelier. That in our pursuit of individual happiness, we actually find ourselves lonely. But in cultures where this idea of a social rejoicing, even in its smallest context of the family, through connecting, through caring, through contributing, people appear to be more likely to flourish, to find well-being. What that means, if you're here and you're struggling to find well-being, you can't do it on your own. You, you can't pursue the answer by yourself. You need to get with a body of people and rejoice and feast before the Lord. And so as we reemerge from this pandemic, as Israel on the precipice of promise, about to enter into the promised land, let's get away from the idea of let me get back to my sense of normalcy. Let's get to a place where it says, let, let, let us together rejoice and invite others into it. And in so doing, we begin to scratch the surface of what it is to worship the Lord. I love Jesus. I love his truth. And I pray that what I love of him becomes infectious so that I might just invite others to celebrate what God is doing and feast before the Lord. That's my prayer. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.